always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. The show is going so quickly this morning. Welcome to Green and Growing. It is hour number three already. I'm in the studio until nine o'clock today. Dave Baker is already in the house doing some very sophisticated show prep for the Home Fix It show coming up at nine o'clock. But in the meantime, we have another hour together, and I'm so excited to have Joe Lample of the Joe Gardner brand along with us, host of Growing a Greener World. Love that show on public television growingagreenerworld.com. And for those of you who are wanting to learn a little more about gardening, you like seeing Q&As, and I think a lot of you, you come to this show for that. You like hearing each other's questions and then the answers and the information we share. So I think, Joe, your Facebook group is one of the best for kind of introducing people to some things they're wondering about. It's just Joe Gardner on Facebook, and it's a group you have to, you know, ask to be let in the group, but you have... 33,000 members. That's people, I would say, throughout the country, but you even have people in other other countries in that group, don't you? Oh, absolutely. We do. And it's a very active group of gardeners of all levels. And that's what I love about it the most is that you have, you know, brand new gardeners, and then you have people that have been doing it pretty much all their lives. And it's a very supportive group and no shortage of people chiming in with their opinions and comments and ideas, you know. That's the thing. When you get 33,000 people in a room, it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> no shortage but, um, of opinions, for sure. Right. If you have a question, you put it out there. And I'm in there, too. I'm answering questions as I can, too. But I'm just one of 33-plus thousand people. But um, it's quite active. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And that is really kind of just being a fly on the wall and sitting back and reading some of the posts and reading people's comments like that is one of the best ways to learn and you kind of start to see a trend of what the correct answer is because that'll be the majority of you know 80 percent of the people agree you have 20 percent that go off a little bit with some weird answers but you can kind of generally learn you know what's what's accurate and the best uh information coming from people so you and i ended the last segment talking about the seed starting checklist i want to get folks Um, encouraged and inspired to start seed to be very self-sufficient in their own vegetable garden and not having to rush out to the nurseries when those plants are available and there be a mad rush on them and then you're left with nothing. You don't have any plants. You're you're not going to have any tomatoes that year. So doing this yourself and getting ahead of it. So we covered you need a clean seed tray, which is very easy to find. Quality Mm -hmm. seeds. Good soil Mm -hmm. is so important. Um, I do like the seedling mix by Black Gold or just potting in container soil. If you buy something by the big bag, though, do you recommend any amendments or maybe not? Well, I recommend that you seek out a special seed starting mix. As you mentioned, Ashley, the one the product that you named is made for seed starting. And the reason why it's good for that is, is first of all, it's sterile. So there's no risk of soil bacteria in there that can harm your seedlings as they're germinating. Secondly, it's very lightweight, so it drains well, which you need. You need light, fluffy, soilless mix is what it's referred to. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want it to retain some moisture, too. So the companies that make those products add in water-retentive properties, such as perlite or vermiculite, ways to keep the soil moist without making it heavy. And that's key because successful seed germination requires that the soil stay moist but also be very aerated. So the seed can breathe, basically. And so I shy away from potting mix and container mix and garden soil 
because although those are good, they really are designed or manufactured for a different application. Seed starting mix, you need to go with something that's really engineered for that. Okay, and lighter weight, like you said, fluffy, mm-hmm. really airy. Okay. Yeah. Um, we talked yeah. about a good light. Uh, correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, but like LED light may be good, but without getting too technical, what have you mm-hmm. found? I mean, what about just that fluorescent well, like shop light? Yes, and, and this is the thing, you know, my my rule of thumb is that uh, work with what you've got. I mean, yes, there are a million options these days from very sophisticated uh, full-spectrum LED lights back down to the basic 40-watt shop light. And let me tell you, I trialed in my course, I trialed multiple different lighting configurations from some of the most expensive down to the most basic shop light, fluorescent shop light. And if you know how to work with your light, you can have as good a results with your 40-watt, $20 shop light as you can with a multi-hundred dollar, highly sophisticated LED light. Now, the highly sophisticated LED light does have more firepower, so it will give you more performance over time if you're trying to grow flower or fruiting plants inside. You need that. But for the four to eight weeks that you're growing seedlings inside to plant outside, a fluorescent light is great, but, you know, the LED lights are good, too. So that's a big, big topic, Ashley, on on learning to understand light science and how to work with your lights to make them as efficient as possible. But you can make what you have work generally if you know how to place it over your plants and how the duration of the light time that it's staying on and so forth. So that's just getting to know your lights and how to work with them to make them make your plants perform. Yeah, and having, it doesn't matter how you rig it, but maybe chains or ropes or whatever on this light that's above the seed tray, because obviously as the seedlings germinate and you have, you know, new growth, you're going to need to move the height of that light up and up so that it's not literally right on top of them. So that's kind of neat to to just keep that in mind, the motion of being able to lower and, and make the light higher. Um, and then a light timer, do you use that? I thought I was brilliant for coming up with that, but a lot of people probably do that. Uh, they should. Yeah. It, it, it'll it'll save you a lot of time. I leave my lights on uh, at once they germinate and put on their true leaves. I put leave my lights on for 16 hours a day, uh, generally, depending on the light, but mostly 16 hours a day. And so that's just on autopilot with an automatic light timer. And um, I buy the ones with multiple outlets in the strip. Yes. And um, that way, you know, I can have multiple lights on and off going at the same time and um, it just makes your seed starting life so much easier when you can automate some of it and the lighting is probably as important as anything for um, needing some help with timers and kind of is there a general rule of thumb of how long in the day the light needs to be on when the seeds are just starting out there's not it depends on the light that you have Mm -hmm. there's um, lights need uh, the proper quality of light or plants need the proper quality of light and so depending on the light that you have will determine the quality of light that they're getting and the way that you can supplement that is if you have a light that's delivering inferior quality then you need to leave the light on longer than a light that's a high performer it's giving that quality of light that those plants need in a 24-hour period in a shorter period of time so therefore you don't need to leave the lights on longer Uh, and in fact too much light can actually have adverse effects over time. So this goes back to my comment to you about understanding your light and how to work with them Mm -hmm. to know how long they should be on. And a lot of it has to do with our observing how the plants are performing. And as Walter 
used to always say, you need to be a Sherlock Holmes in your garden. Right. And I love that phrase because that, that makes us smarter if we're paying attention and looking for clues and trying to determine what's causing that problem or that change in what we're doing and then just follow it back to what it could be. And in indoor seed starting, uh, lights have so much to do with how the seedling is performing. Too much light, not enough light, lights that are too close to the plants, lights that are too far away from the plants, that can cause legginess. And Mm -hmm. it's just so many different things. And people don't need to get overwhelmed by this. And I imagine by what I'm saying, they're thinking, oh, my God, I'll never get this. But, you know, you do. You just have to you just have to start and then pay attention. And that's how you learn. But, um, you know, I've been doing it for decades. So I'm better at it now than I was last year. But basic behaviors of plants, like we talk about house plants too. We've talked a lot about those over the last couple of months. Like just you see them stretching for the sun. You see them almost yeah. leaning toward that bright window. So common sense would tell you to rotate it, you know, spit it around, let it kind of lean the other way. But the legginess in these seedlings, like you're talking about, it's no different. You know, if they're really having to stretch up to get that light, maybe bring the light a little closer to it. So, yeah, kind of it's just trial and error, some logic there, too. Now, two things I want to run by you really quickly, whether or not these are optional. So we covered the four basic things there. <laughs> A fan. And for folks who don't know, why would you do a fan? It's not for any temperature change or anything like that, but to prevent something called damping off, which is a disease that can affect young seedlings. Do we have to have that air circulation? Is that crucial and why? Yes, I put it in the non-optional category. And and the reason for that is uh, what you said, Ashley, damping off is a fungal disease that's very common with uh, seeds as they're germinating, this little fungus forms right at the soil level and, and basically just causes that seedling to lop over and die. And that fungus spreads very easily. So the way that you can prevent that is, the simplest way to prevent it is just air circulation across the soil surface. And so a simple little fan moving air, it doesn't need to be on high speed, just air that's moving is what you need, but that makes all the difference in the world. And so I have a little fan, a $14 fan, on each of my shelves of my seed starting racks, and that does the trick. I've I've only had damping off one time in all the years I've been doing it, and that's when I accidentally turned off the fan and didn't know it was off. Oh, no. And um, I got damping off. So I I have lots of pictures on the fans configuration and stuff on my Instagram account. That's the easiest way to see what I'm talking about. And that's just at Joe Gardener on Instagram, but there's lots of pictures I'm posting right now because it is that time of year and you can see the setup and the fans and all that I, you know, all the things that I have just to give you a visual of what I'm talking about. So the fan did prevent that damping off a hundred percent of the time because the one time you had the fan turned off, sure enough, you got it. So that's important. Another optional or not a seedling heating mat. And now I've not used one Joe, but when I shopped around Mm -hmm. 20 to $50 is maybe the price range there, depending on the brand and the size, but how crucial is a heating mat for us to have under the tray? It's optional for us. The reason we use a heating mat is to increase the soil temperature to uh, increase the rate of germination. Seeds have an ideal range in which they'll germinate. And so the closer the seed is to that temperature, the faster it's going to germinate. And so the heat mat will help us get there. For example, tomato seeds uh, germinate between 55 and 90 degrees, but the ideal germination temperature is 85 degrees. So we don't need to get the seeds the soil up to 85 degrees here. They'd be just fine in our basements. But um, the the heat mat 
warms the soil temperature to get the seeds more closer to the uh, range or the ideal range for germination. And the closer that temperature is via the heat map, the faster it germinates. But but here, you just it's, it's a nice to have, but it's not a need to have. Good. See, we like that. So this doesn't have to be this super expensive venture for sure. Well, getting away from seed starting just a little bit, we're going to take a break. And I do want to talk to Mike and McDonough. He has held so patiently. When to stop adding to compost? I think that's a great question. And Joe is just the guy to answer it. 404-872-0750. We'll be right back on Green and Growing on WSB. Knowing the weather and how to plan is important for anything you want to do outside. Brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, sunny, a high almost to 60 degrees, low around 38. Tomorrow, it's going to be cloudy, high only around 51, low around 45, and the chance for showers moves in at night. So, Jason, if we can get Joe up on the phone. I'm with Joe Lample, Joe Gardner. Uh, JoeGardner.com is where you can find everything, every resource that he's got. And we also want to talk to Mike and McDonough. Welcome to the show. Hey, um, Joe, I had a couple quick questions. Um, I know it's way early for starting cucumber seeds, but uh, I've tried dozens of different supposedly heat-tolerant varieties, and I've never had much luck with the heat and humidity around here. I was going to see if you could um, uh, suggest some varieties that could handle the heat around here, and then I had a quick compost question if we have time. Gotcha. Okay, yes. Well, I think the heat and the humidity, and mostly the humidity is the bigger problem, Mike, but have you tried, um, do you like the slicing varieties, the binding slicing varieties better than the bushing, bush varieties? Yeah, preferably the, the slicing. How about, have you done straight eight and market more 76? Yeah, I've tried those and some like the Ashley that's supposed to be heat tolerant and Confederate and even some of the Asian ones that are supposed to be, but they all seem to fizzle out all about the same time. Well, I uh, and I agree with that, and I'll tell you this. Um, cucumbers are sort of the bane of my existence, too, here. I, I just think of living in Atlanta it's going to the heat and the humidity. The combination of the two is going to catch up with us. And and starting earlier can help you uh, get ahead of it. And so um, I think even with the heat tolerant varieties, we're just struggling because we've got the combination of the humidity as well. And Mike, what was your second question? Not to cut you off, Joe, but we've got about thirty seconds. So Mike, what's okay. your composting question? And then we'll answer it right after the news. Yeah, I have one of those uh, above ground tumbler type composters, and yep. uh, it works great. Um, I want to keep adding my kitchen scraps as long as I can, but I also know that I got to give it a certain amount of time to finish composting, you know, by April. How long, when should I stop? All right. That is an awesome question, Mike. And we will definitely, yeah, we'll definitely touch on that after the break for sure. 404-872-0750. We'll get to Kathy in Gainesville with, with a question about her pepper plant and some other questions as well as Pike Nursery coming up to talk about roses. Stay tuned to 95.5 WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. 
Thanks so much for listening to Green and Growing. Having a blast this Saturday morning and here for you every Saturday morning, 6 to 9, right here on 95.5 on your radio dial, AM 750 on the WSB Radio app on WSBRadio.com. We're kind of everywhere. And then you can listen back to the show later on as a podcast, whether it's through Spotify, Google Play, or go to WSBRadio.com and click on On Demand. So I definitely am anxious to talk to Jackson Grimley, Assistant Manager at the Roswell Pike Nursery, about roses. Such a big, such a fun topic, and we've already alluded to it a little bit in the show today. But first, Joe Lample, my guest today. We had Mike from McDonough ask a great composting question before the break, Joe. Rehash that question, and you have a terrific answer for Mike. Okay. Mike? Mike wanted to know, you know, he's got this uh, compost tumbler bin. So it's a single bin where he's adding his compost, but he knows at some time he's got to stop and, you know, stop adding so he can get the finished compost. Uh, and so he wants to know when to do that. And that's a great question. And it's a common question. But anybody that has either a single bin or a single tumbler, at some point you've got to stop adding to it or you'll never have all finished compost. Because right. the stuff that you added initially is breaking down. But if you keep adding fresh compost or fresh ingredients or inputs into it, it's always going to be in a state of working but never mm-hmm. finished. So my advice is to always have more than one tumbler or one bin because once you get that first bin to the point where you've added everything that you can to fill it, you need to move on to another one so you can give that first bin time to finish and not continue to add to it or you'll never get it finished. So you need to walk away from it once it's full. And start a new pile. And literally, even if it's just a pile in your corner of your yard, yeah. that suffices. That's how I did it for years. Now I use a three-bin system, so I always have some compost at some level of completion, whether it's fresh ingredients, in process, or finished. And the more of those bins that you have, the better able you're able to manage you know, the state of where your compost is. But you just need to have at least more than one have finished compost eventually in one of them. And how often do we turn them? It's not as often as you would think. Well, actually, the more you turn it, the better, because oh, you okay. always want to have air and oxygen working. And so at least once a week, but the more, the better. Okay, great. See, I knew it. Joe had a comprehensive answer. He's done it, folks. He's been there. He's done it. He is speaking from experience. So, Joe, we're going to get back to seed starting. I want you to have uh, the opportunity to tell folks about a big week coming up for the Joe Gardner franchise, the master seed starting class. The webinar starts on Wednesday. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. But yes, up now is Jackson Grimsley from the Roswell location there near Roswell High School, Pike Nursery. Good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashley. Thanks for having me on. So talking about roses, January this month, the beginning of dormant rose season, and there's so much to be doing with roses right now, right? Pruning them and planting new ones. So I want you to tell us a little bit about some of the types of roses, because I may not speak for a lot of people, Jackson, but knockouts are what comes to mind first, just for beginning gardeners, but so Mm -hmm. many other varieties that are just as easy and more colorful, a lot more rewarding. Tell us about some of the ones you guys have in Pike Nursery. Yeah, absolutely. So there are quite a few, actually. Um, the hybrid teas are probably what most people think of when they think of a classic rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, large blooms, single blooms on single stems. They're great for cut flowers, very fragrant. Um, there's also the floribundas. Those are going to be a little bit smaller in growth habit than the hybrid teas, and they have clusters of blooms along the stems. And the blooms aren't quite as showy. They have a little bit uh, lower centers on the blooms. 
Um, next, there's Grandiflora, which is actually a hybridization of the hybrid tea and the Florabunda. Cool. Um, and so they have a growth habit a little bit closer to that hybrid tea, a little larger, um, but they do have clusters of blooms, but they are more similar to that hybrid tea bloom with a high center and kind of a classic rose bloom. Um, next would be the English roses, uh, which are also known as David Austin's here. Um, they are very large, very fragrant, um, probably the prettiest of the roses, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They are a little bit more difficult to take care of. They're not quite as drought resistant, not quite as disease resistant. So that's really uh, something I would recommend more for uh, experienced rose gardeners. Uh, next, you have the climbing uh, roses, which are great for a trellis or an arbor or something like that. Uh, they are very fragrant, and they're repeat bloomers. That's a big thing with them. They'll bloom from spring all the way through fall, um, and because of their growth habit, they don't require quite as much trimming um, since you're going to be having them uh, you know, on a structure generally. And then last but not least would be the shrub roses. That includes uh, your knockouts and your drift roses. Um, again, not as showy, not quite as colorful, um, but they are great. They're extremely hardy, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why they're great for this area. They're extremely disease-resistant and extremely drought-tolerant. Yeah, my knockouts for sure. I mean, I had flowers up until right after Halloween, too, so mm-hmm. they definitely are repeat bloomers. And any of the names that Jackson just listed off, when you go to pikenursery.com, right there on the home page is the uh, headlines kind of scroll, Roses has arrived. Man, when you click that, types of roses, you can see exactly what Jackson's talking about with all of these grandiflora, hybrid tea. So now is also the time to be pruning these. And I want you to get a little bit into that, Jackson. We have a couple of minutes, but let me ask you, we pick up the dormant rose, you know, from Pike Nursery. It's just stemmy. That's all it is right now as we bring it home in the pot. Do we have to do some pruning with new ones that we buy or we're they're just ready to pop in the ground and ready to grow? No, they are ready to go the second you get them home. Um, they've already been pruned for this season, so they are they are perfect and ready to go. Not much work to do other than putting them in the ground, like you said. And uh, the majority of our roses do come in a biodegradable pot as well, so you don't even actually have to take them out of the container. You just pop that con- container straight in the ground, and they're ready to go. How cool is that? And this is foolproof, guys, because Pike Nursery guarantees all trees and shrubs for life, and that includes roses. So give it a good start, and then you're you're off and running. So I know, Jackson, you know a lot about uh, pruning existing roses. Give us some tips to make us uh, you know, most efficient doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So pruning roses is extremely important. That's how you're going to really maintain the, the shape and the, the prolific blooming that you're looking for out of your rose. Um, you know, you can be pretty harsh with them, cutting them back. You can cut them back, you know, by about two-thirds. Um, the most important thing, though, is you don't want to prune uh, below kind of your, your central bud union down towards the bottom of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's extremely important. But you do want to remove any, you know, dead stems, small and, you know, kind of twiggy stems, um, and anything that's growing towards the center of the plant, uh, you kind of want the branches to come up almost in a V or vase-like shape, uh, almost goblet-like, um, and that's going to really help with the, with the shape of the plant um, in the future. Um, but it's, uh, what's extremely important is that you sanitize your equipment in between plants, um, so you don't want to transfer potentially any uh, pests or any diseases or fungi or anything. It's extremely important to sanitize those all of your tools and everything in between uh, your plants. 
Um, finally, you do want to make sure you clean up any debris, any leaves, any old branches, anything like that, because if there is any, you know, sort of, you know, uh, fungus or disease or anything, that could still be on the ground in those uh, decaying leaves and decaying branches. So you want to make sure to clean that up really well. Um, and then finally, you do want to use a pruning sealer, um, which is a great product. Anytime you prune anything, you want to use a pruning sealer. It's just going to basically seal the end of the stem, and it's going to make sure that insects, and diseases don't have an easy path into your plant. And pruning is really necessary, folks, with roses, just to control the size. My knockouts are, like, literally hanging over the walk right now, so now is the time for me to be knocking those back and just reinvigorating the bush for for more and more blooms. So uh, folks that are interested in roses, Jackson, and they've never bought them before, y'all are doing a giveaway on Instagram where they could win a rose. Tell us about that really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So if you go uh, to Instagram and follow us at Pike Nurseries, um, there is a post on there. Um, There's a couple posts about a rose a day giveaway for today and tomorrow. So if you like that post and tag a friend in the comment, you'll be entered for a chance to win a rose each day for today and tomorrow. I love it. Okay, so give us the website again for folks to look at all of those different types of roses and kind of know before they go into the nursery maybe what type they're looking for. Where do they find you guys online? Absolutely. We're at pikenursery.com, and that's the best way you can see any of our locations. So find out which location is closest for you, and please come by the store and see us. We'd be happy to help you. It was so good to have you, and I look forward to having you back. Jackson Grimsley from the Roswell location there near Roswell High School. Thanks so much, and happy planting. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Excellent tips from Jackson there, and I will share some of those, some of the great tips that he gave us about pruning roses. Uh, Definitely want to do that. All right, if we could bring Joe Lample back up. Thank you, Jason. Joe, you're still with us, right? I'm right here. All right, I want folks to stay tuned because in a few minutes, I really want you to get into a little bit about uh, the seed starting webinar that you're doing. This is such a good time of year for that. But first, we had another question from a caller, and I wanted to kind of help Kathy out a little bit. Kathy calling from Gainesville. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I've got a question about a green pepper plant. I have been overwintering it. It's probably five years old now, and I've been keeping it in the hopes that it would actually produce earlier than starting from uh, new plants. But the Mm -hmm. peppers that it puts out in the spring particularly are extremely small, Um, maybe bigger than a golf ball, but not as big as a tennis ball. And I've been upping the amount of light that I give it in the wintertime, which has helped, but still the first batch of peppers are really very small. I wonder if there's anything else I should do differently. So this is um, the the batch that you're getting first is is mostly coming on from the indoor environment with the grow lights? Um, I will get peppers during the winter, uh, but mm-hmm. mainly they're ones that get produced after it's been moved back outside. Hmm. But they've started forming beforehand, and, and so when they, you get them out there? Prob- they're probably from flowers that formed inside, yes. And, and what about the peppers that come on in the second round or just after the first little round with the little guys? Um, do they continue to stay small, or do they they get back to what would you call normal size? Even the second round is a little small. Um, it it kind of takes the third batch before they start getting bigger. They mm-hmm. never get as big as the ones that you plant new in the garden. And right. since I've been upping the light over the winter, they get bigger faster. Uh, okay. So my my guess at this is that um, peppers just need the, the help of Mother Nature to really perform as they're, they're – genetics 
wants them to, but it requires just a longer period outside under more intense light to really have everything kick into gear to the point where it's all everything's firing off on all cylinders, basically. So what you're doing indoors is kind of keeping that plant awake in a semi-dormant state at least, but it sounds like you've got it producing. And I, I really think that maybe it, it, it needs more time to just sort of gear down over that winter period and, and uh, maybe back off on that and then let it really do what it's designed to do in the heat of the summer and the more intense light when um, it can utilize all of its resources that it has within plus what mother nature is providing overhead to really let it go strong. So, I mean, if you know that this is a plant that used to produce larger fruit and you see that around the third cycle of the production, to me, that's saying that it's, it's finally catching up later in the season. Now that the roots have settled back out into the more, opportunistic soil and it's had more time under the sun and it's got that heat that it loves and it's really finally doing what it was made to do but it's just taking all of those resources that are provided outside to really maximize its potential i think until then it's it's compromised and so it wants to put out that fruit but it's just not able to do it to its fullest capability until it has everything that it needs yeah. and that's from within and overhead. And there's nothing that's a good enough substitute for the right sunlight. You you hit the nail on the head there, right? I mean, I was not very successful with our vegetable garden last year simply because there wasn't enough sun for a lot of the things I was trying to grow. So, Kathy, thank you so much for the call. All right, we're going to take a break. Joe Lample stays with me. A lot of good information. He's going to give you a website that you need to know. You want to be a master seed starter. And some of what we've talked about today has definitely piqued your interest. So get a pen and paper handy. Joe's going to give you exactly what you need to get into this webinar, to get started. Everything you're going to need and information you can share with your friends and your family and get into the seed starting here in the next couple of weeks with the kids. It's a good family activity. I'm going to let Joe tell you all about it right after this. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. So a three-hour show on a Saturday morning, and I got Joe Lample for an hour and a half, and that's never enough for us to be together, Joe. So very quickly, trying to get folks hyped up for seed basics and beyond and what you need to know about starting seed. Tell us what you know and what how people could benefit from all the research you've done. Okay. Well, this was a big week because we have um, a webinar called Seed Basics and Beyond. We have four sessions that people can come to that is going to – I'm going to teach you live. Um, everything that you need to know about seeds before you put the first one in the ground. In other words, it's going to make you smarter about how seeds work, what it takes for them to germinate, why they don't germinate. Uh, are organic seeds better to have in your garden than non-organic seeds? Yeah. And if so, what's the difference and why? So much to talk about, plus a live Q&A time. We're setting aside time for that. And people can register for that free webinar at joegardener.com slash webinar. So just Spell it right, joegardener.com slash webinar, and you'll see the slot, and um, there's a little video there of me welcoming and telling you what to learn, but that's a good place to start. And then um, joegardener.com slash MSS for Master Seed Starting. If you want to go directly and learn more about the course when it opens up on Wednesday, there's information for that, but that's a very comprehensive course, about six and a half hours of training 
that I can't. There's nothing else that I can add to it, yeah. according to my students. So Joe to, uh, Gardner is really where you need to go. Joe Lample, thank you so much. You know I'm going to share all those resources on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. My guest, Joe Lample, good friend. Thank you so much, and I look forward to having you back in the summer. Take care. Everyone have a good Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.